0: Jimmy's
1: Table. Hey everybody, you're listening to the Jimmy's Table Podcast, Jimmy's com. I'm your host, Jimmy Humphrey, where I like to have conversations about faith, life, culture, and sometimes food. So Daniel Rushin is a friend of mine. We went to Bible college together at Lee University. Uh, I preached at a church he once pastored at. And he officiated my wife and I's wedding a couple years ago. So uh you know he's been around in my life a little bit, and uh, we we live a bit apart. But uh, he came down for today's podcast one because I'm feeding him wings and pizza, but yes. two, uh, you know, I I thought you know considering the things that are happening in the world right now, and uh, you know some of the things he shared about me that's happening in his life, um, I thought he would be a great guest for some perspective on uh, today's show. Today we're going to be talking about some pretty heavy stuff. Uh, we're going to be talking about the coronavirus and its immediate impact on the lives of everyday Americans, and in particular, uh, how it's even impacting the church in America. Daniel's an everyday American, and uh, like I said, he's a pastor of a church. Uh, he's been pastoring how many years now? Uh, I've been pastoring or in ministry full time for about 13 years. So I think that uh, means he's certified, uh, <laughs> no matter how you uh, want to. Sell. So, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Or you, pastor, and uh, whatever else you want to say? Sure,
0: yeah. Um, pastor uh, Renovatus Church, which is a, a church in Charlotte. Um, it's a funny name, it's Latin for a church for people under renovation. And um, I've been there about four years now. And um, we originally uh, lived in the mountain area and pastored a couple of churches in Asheville. So, uh, married to uh, um, a beautiful wife, Crystal, and I have. Uh, two lovely daughters, Bianca and Olivia,
1: and, uh, that's pretty much it. Very nice. Yeah. Um, so how has the coronavirus impacted you personally? How, how has it impacted you as a pastor? How has it impacted your family? Um, how has it impacted your kids? How has yeah. it impacted your congregation? Yeah.
0: Uh, I th- I'll be honest with you. I think in some ways I'm still determining the impact, um, it's one of those things that even even the first week when they announced um, or when they started encouraging churches to not have service, people not to gather, you know, at, at the time it still felt very like, okay, we can do that this week and things will change. But now, yeah, there's been lots of changes and lots of, uh, you know, impact. Um, my kids are home. I, my daughters are teenagers, so I have a junior in high school and an eighth grader. And uh, they're at home now, and we're trying to figure that out. The schools are trying to figure that out. Uh, my wife is a dental hygienist; she works in the dental field, and uh, nobody's getting their teeth cleaned during a pandemic. Mm. You know, they're staying home and um, saving their their money and using their time in other ways. And so, she's currently out of work, oh, wow. and um, and just in general, as you and everyone's dealing with this uh, kind of staying home all the time and figuring that out. Um, it's, 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 it's a different world. Right. and in terms of the congregation, I think um, obviously there's some grief associated with not being able to gather regularly, right. especially in a church like ours, which is very um, uh, community based. Yeah. Um, it's one of our, our strongest values, is the value of community. Good. And not being able to see one another and um, not knowing when you're going to be able to see one another. Uh, certainly has caused some
1: grief and anxiety among okay. our body, for sure. Do you have anybody in the church that's really wanting to still meet in spite of government decrees yeah. and, and risk and stuff? Associated? Well, there,
0: there was early on. Okay. Uh, at this point, no. Okay. Uh, at least no one that I'm aware of okay. within the staff and leadership You know, uh, situation. Um, we've had some... You know, you got the Sunday morning service, and then every church also has these other gatherings that are happening throughout the week, whether it's like a men's ministry or a women's ministry or whatever, different right. things. So each of those events have kind of, you know, some of them have been smaller, and so there's been some conversation around, can we still do this one? Mm-hmm. Um, but at this point, it really feels like everyone is uh, resigned to the reality yeah. that um, it's just better to be cautious now uh, than to, you know, follow that desire to. To connect
1: and, and right. be together now do you does your church have a lot of people that would be considered kind of vulnerable like usually in the older age demographic uh, we, we do have some yeah, yes okay. um, in
0: particular we have um, we have several uh, families in our church that are actually taking care of older family members in their home um, so they, they have like their mother or their fathers um, in the home and they're taking care of them and many of them are at risk or hmm. uh, at higher risk. So we do have that demographic. You know, our demographic is mostly um, you know, younger, younger individuals, um, even the families or younger families. Uh, but yeah, definitely definitely, there is that, that demographic that will be
1: more vulnerable. Have you guys been able to try yeah. to exploit technology to keep everything rolling? I know a lot of people are doing Zoom. My church personally is doing Zoom meetings like crazy. Yeah. Are you guys doing any of that?
0: Yeah, all our meetings are on Zoom right now, (laughs) um, which we're used to because we don't have a brick and mortar church. We uh, we lease space on a a weekly basis. Um, So we do a lot of our office work through Zoom, period. It is a little different, though, with like non-staff meetings. Our staff is kind of used to it, and um, our council is getting more used to it. Uh, but that's what we're doing, and you know, just leverage leveraging technology. Um, it's I'm technological enough to be dangerous, and <laughs> hey, I don't have the time. I'm in the same boat. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. Sometimes have the time to really dive in and understand all the ins and outs of the platforms that are out there. Right. So I'm, I'm relying on others in a lot of ways to explore that. But. Um, yeah, we're trying. This Sunday, we're streaming our service, okay. and uh, you know, we don't know what that looks like. It's it, it's it's a challenge, especially for a church that not only is community based, but um, has a pretty high theology about liturgy mm-hmm. and right. the actual physical embodiment of worship. Right. So, and and some of that's personal for me. Sure. You know, because I'm like, what are we doing? You know, if it's just if it's just about hearing someone speak, and, right. and then technology serves that purpose. But right. I don't know long-term what that looks like for the church, right. theologically and even practically.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I, I was thinking, uh, you mentioned that, I was thinking about um, some uh, Catholics and some individuals like that I know that have that high church theology. Some priests lamenting openly on Twitter that, hey, they can't physically hear somebody's confession or... They can't physically serve them communion right now, or Eucharist right now, um, and and how difficult that is for them because you know as especially like an evangelical churches, like it's just all about the sermon mm-hmm. and the song yeah. and the offering. Yeah. And well, you can do sermon, song, and offering all online. Great, mm-hmm. fantastic. We're good. Let's rock and roll. Right. Um, but churches that like have the smells and bells, so to say, mm-hmm. um, or if you wear any of the kind of like I guess typically like priestly type garments, especially. Uh, with us going into the Easter season. Like, yeah. like I can only imagine how this is going to impact churches with Easter. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I'm almost feeling like you might have a lot of people defying government orders at that point just to, you know, like, okay, we can give up everything, but we're going to make an exception for Easter. Yeah. Do you think there might be anything like oh, that? Oh, boy, I'm sure there will be. <laughs> uh,
0: I hope not. And, no. um, you know, unless there is by then right. um, some sort of sense that right. the probabilities are lower for you know the spread of the virus and things like that, but you know churches have been through this before. I mean, Martin Luther had written about you know play, the plague way right. back when, and uh, more recently I read of um, a denominational leader in the early nineteen hundreds who, mm. in his diary, lamented how they had to cancel services and meetings due to the flu. Uh-huh. So <clears throat> um, it's definitely not new. Uh, this is different, though. Um, obviously, every generation it's going to be a little different because there's different circumstances surrounding it but uh yeah i don't know how how much you want to talk about that but yeah that i think um like this is in many ways this particular situation i hope is going to cause the church to reevaluate why it does the things that it does Mm -hmm. and um there's always that risk in any gathering and again, you see this historically in in church history, for it to become very event-based. Right. Excuse me, event-based. Uh, very, um, you know, forward-facing where there's the whole um, impetus of the worship service is on the people on the stage. Right. And so, you know... It seems like we're still trying very hard. I say we, I mean the church in general, particularly the evangelical church, still trying to maintain that. And um, I just don't know. Years ago, I went to a conference, Leonard Sweet. uh, This was a denominational conference, and Lynn Sweet was asked the question, what does a church look like in the future? And he comes out on stage, and the very first thing he says is, and this was like 2000, the very first thing he says is, um, there's coming a day when you won't go to church. Hmm. Your avatar will go for you. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone looked at him like, huh? And in some ways, we're doing that. Right. We're sending our virtual selves to church now. Right. Interesting. So
1: You know, I saw somebody talking about online recently, talking about how, especially in churches where it's more congregational singing and back and forth and participating, you know, the priest says something or the pastor says something and the congregation reads mm-hmm. back and you know, that sort of dynamic and I remember seeing one guy talking about how he's like, Listen, just because you're at home, I still want you to say Amen. He's like when I don't don't just don't just listen and watch somebody sing. I want you to sing with with the musicians that were putting on stage. So don't just sit there and stare at your iPad or your laptop or, you know, whatever you're streaming on your T V like yeah. I, I want you to still participate. And, yeah, uh, You know, I, I think that like we can, like because church has become, especially in the evangelical churches, uh, like, you know, your elevation church type stuff where it's highly performance driven. It is the professionals on stage right. and they are putting on a show. You know, and, like, I've, like, been secretly wondering, I wonder if, uh, you know, some of these guys are, you know, having fog machines still. Right. Uh, You know, and I I haven't caught a church that's still doing that, but uh, I'm sure somebody out there is still pumping out the fog, even though nobody's there. Yeah. I saw a Babylon Bee
0: article where they said uh, they were, you could order your own fog machine for (laughs) your own service. (laughs) Nice.
1: Um, Yeah, I, I, I think it'll be interesting to see how this challenges the way... We quote-unquote do church, um, and especially when you, I, you know, I, I think of it in the context of, and we've been incredibly blessed and have lived in a unique time in history, especially in the rest Western world, where major things like diseases that swipe through a nation and wipe out large swaths of the population and suddenly make everybody mysteriously sick, that's not something we as moderns have really known about. But truth be told, the church has been going through this for thousands of years in different contexts, different places and times. I mean, Mm -hmm. you mentioned the plague, um, other diseases, and I mean, even churches like in Asia and India, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's especially churches in the slums, like they regularly deal with disease as a way of life. Mm -hmm. um, And it makes me wonder at what point are they going to decide, hey, the church is still going to go on and we're still going to do things the way we've been doing them for 2000 years. And we understand there's this risk out there, um, but it's kind of a shock to our system uh, because we're not used to having that sort of risk.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, we can say the church has been doing these things for 2,000 years, but there are things that have changed as a result of situations like this. One thing that immediately came to my mind when you were speaking is baptism. Right. So um, our listeners, probably some of them come from churches that immerse people in water for baptism. Right. Some sprinkle, right. uh, some, you know, through the hole with the brush and just throw it on you kind of thing. Right. All that is because of different situations, you know, where there might not have been water close by mm. or whatever. So even like liturgically and and practice-wise, practically, right. we have through the centuries kind of modified things right. to meet the situation, even the Jewish people. Right. Um, you know, like even synagogues you know, emerge after the exile. This is not something that's prescribed by God. Right. But it's something that meets the need of people who can't get back to Jerusalem. Right. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. People, uh, people and churches are going to reevaluate their relationship to, I, I think, to lots of things
1: um, after this kind of clears out. Right. Do you think any of uh, how we move forward will be due to financial stresses that we're most likely going to be experiencing in the near future, and how do you think that will impact the way we do church, the models we select? Yeah. Um, you know, Will we become even more technology-reliant? Will we be, Will the bigger churches become bigger and the smaller churches become smaller or just be wiped out altogether? Who do you think might be able to adapt best, oh, boy. Uh, and uh, what do you think might emerge from that? If you can yeah. look into your crystal ball that I know you have yeah, in the back pocket. <laughs>
0: So let me take that piece by piece. Um, I, I definitely think there's going to be a financial impact. Yeah. There's no way around that. No. Um, not only because people are going to reevaluate their relationship with church, uh, they're also already, and uh, I'm, I'm speaking for my family, reevaluating their relationship with money. Mm-hmm. You know, when you um, don't know when you're going to work again <clears throat> and you're not even sure if... And two, you know, I thought about this. I think some people are probably going to reevaluate their careers. Right. Uh, It's it's a chance for them to do so. they got time to build a resume now. (laughs) You know, think about things and kind of get a break just from what they were doing. So it's definitely going to have a financial impact. And I don't know if I could say whether larger churches or smaller churches are more adaptable. What I can say are that um, churches that are willing to tinker with their system... Mm -hmm. Um, even though it may cause grief in the process and to rethink what they're doing and why they're doing it. um, Those churches are making space for the spirit to kind of breathe new creative wind in and not to get overly spiritual, but that's a very important piece of this puzzle. Sure. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I think that the spirit is absolutely adaptable. Absolutely. And it's, it's the churches that are willing to open themselves up to what the spirit is saying right. um, rather than just clinging to um, what is comfortable and secure and what they like because um, those things often require a lot of financial um, right. stability. You know, big staffs, big buildings, big programs, um, all those things. I think you're going to have to look at, you know, you're going to have to look at what purpose they serve and why do you do that. I mean, right. even now, <clears throat> I mean, I was in a church in Asheville that one of the struggles it had was uh, the building it had, um, the building that we were in, which was at the time owned by the denomination, uh, needed major upkeep and major repairs, and and it eventually, you know, was too much for that congregation to bear. And just a few weeks ago, I was actually at a mega church uh, here in, in the city. And the pastor um, told me that even then, this was before the pandemic, that even then, most of his meetings were taken up with um, the question of how do we get more people in here? How do we get those new people to pay tithes so that we can keep this building up? Hmm. So, you know, I think uh, our willingness to lose some of those... Um, those structures and those institutional things that we look for, for security and safety, our willingness to uh, kind of untether from those um, will open up room for the Spirit to breathe some new creativity
1: right. in. Yeah, I really feel like it's a really a new wineskin opportunity type of thing. I mm. mean, that might be, you know, biblically speaking, strictly speaking, you know, difference between Old and New Testament, but I still think... You know, even when you contextualize something like that, there's still something we can, you know, uh, apply to those situations to yeah. where if you keep trying to do it the old way, well, you're just going to have wine skins that burst ruining both, you know. And yeah. uh, I, I really fear, you know, that even even some church models I would love to see die. Yeah. Uh, just from a personal perspective, you know, my own personal axe to grind. It's kind of like I still think, the pains and difficulties and the terror that will consume people. Like, I don't want it, I don't want people to have to abandon those models because, you know, they went through hell and abandoned them because, you know, the world was broken. I want them to embrace it because they saw something better and, mm-hmm. you know, what the Lord was doing and leading them to do from a positive stuff. I don't want it to be sure. a reactionary, well, we were forced to do this sort of thing and we can't wait yeah. till we get back to the old way. Yeah. Uh, sort of mentality.
0: Yeah, but I think it might have to be a little bit of both. I right. don't know because, um, and even historically, you know, look, you go all the way back to Judaism, and I made this reference earlier about the synagogues, right. but you have like the changes from tabernacle worship to temple worship, right. uh, and then later on to synagogues, uh, and even during the divided kingdom when they weren't in exile, right. you had. In the Northern Kingdom, they did sacrifices on the pagan altars because they couldn't get down to Jerusalem. Yeah, right. The king down there was like, "Don't send them here; they might try to you know, take over." <laughs> All right. So, um, some of it is going to be reactionary, but I agree with you that it can't be done. Um, it can't be done out of a spirit of fear right. and panic, but in trust that the Lord is opening up new opportunities. Right. And new ways, right. and I do agree with you too. By the way, I, I sometimes we get cynical right. about the institutions and the things right. we wish, you know, were redone and revamped. But those institutions and those ways of doing things um, uh, consist of people, right? And, and people um, who get something out of it, who enjoy it, and so there is grief in that process, right. Absolutely.
1: Um do you feel that all this kind of leads up to kind of a uh, President Trump used the the phrase that we're at war mm. with the coronavirus do you feel like we as a nation as a church as you as a father and a husband do you feel like we're go we're kind of in a real battle here a real war would you choose that uh, word or would you prefer maybe to even use something else you know i don't know I, it's funny though my daughter uh, Olivia,
0: the other day at the at the table during dinner, she said, "I was thinking, you know how some people talked about going through World War One and going through World War Two, my generation will talk about going through this. Right. So, you know, in her mind, at least, there's some equivalence there. Sure, there is going to be some things that are." Similar, you know, with rations, and we were already experiencing that. Lord right. knows the toilet paper, you know, dilemma of two thousand and twenty. Right. Uh,
1: so. <laughs> I had to choose regular white button mushrooms instead right. of portobello <laughs> mushrooms today at the grocery oh, store. Oh man, you know, first world problems, right? <laughs> <I know. laughs> so,
0: um, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily hate that comparison. Yeah. I don't think it's an overreaction. Um, of course, we know presidents like to. Um, inflate their role a lot of times and make themselves look good. It is a campaign year after all. So, um, I'm sure some of that plays into that rhetoric. Right. So I, am I'm kind of hesitant to say, ah, nah, because then, you know, it, 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 it might downplay the seriousness of it. Sure. And from, I've talked to, um, I've heard from some Mm -hmm. hospital chaplains and others, and uh, this is a very serious situation. Right. And, um, and I'm glad that the president and others seem to be taking it serious, right. as far
1: as I can tell. Right. Yeah. And, you know, that's the thing that's, I think, maybe aggravated me a little bit about It's like, there is a lot of seriousness coming up. And it seems like we are getting ready to throw the full resources of the United States government and all its power and depths of money and, you know, means of doing things. And we're going to throw the entire kitchen sink at this problem until it goes away. But then there are still some people who are hanging out saying, oh, no, this is not a problem. It's just the flu. You know, I'm not Mm -hmm. taking it very seriously. You know, I'm going to go to the beach this weekend and I'm going to hang out uh, with all my friends and, you know, we're going to be fine. And part of me is like, part of me almost feels like I should hit you for saying something (laughs) so stupid. And I'm a pacifist because, you know, if we're at war with this thing, we can't afford to have stragglers who are, you know, just like, whatever's, you know, I just hate that this is going to impact my ability to have fun this weekend, or or even some people I know who are actually looking at economic hardship for, like, uh, I know some contractors who, you know, like doing kitchen remodels and stuff, business mm-hmm. drying up. Or I know a guy who uh, was the DJ at our wedding, um, and business has suddenly dried up for him. Mm-hmm. And he's serious about it, but I know some other people that aren't. And I feel like it's almost like they are going through a denial that's more... I, at first, I thought it was willful ignorance, but now I'm starting to believe it's the opinion of it's actually grief, mm. um, and that that denial that they're experiencing the hardcore, just like, nope, 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 it's not going to be an issue. You guys are just crazy. The media is just driving the entire world mm. and saying, mm. you know, they're causing a communist dictatorship in China, you right. know, to backing down the hatches. Right. They're like, nope, nope, China <laughs> doesn't do anything under, under much media pressure. They might occasionally, like, you know, <sighs> tweak something, but... Like and part of it's like how can you not see the gravity of the situation? Mm-hmm. And all I can figure is they're wrestling with grief and mm-hmm. they just happen to be in a different stage than I am right now. Yeah,
0: yeah. It definitely is denial is a powerful force. Right. And um I'd never thought about that, you just said it. But I think that probably does play into it is yeah. the grief. Um and there's also, you know, the political and social climate we found ourselves in. Sure. I mean, it was reaching um I mean, just the 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 screaming across the aisle, right? And I think some people are still kind of fi- caught up in that. I right. was at a convenience store the other day, and uh, the guy um, running the cash register, with gloves on, by the way, <laughs> goes on this thing about how he doesn't believe it's real, no. and it's just a conspiracy to uh, make the president look bad, right? So you know you have that out there, right? Um, and I, I think it is at least based in my experience, seems that that is becoming a smaller and smaller percentage mm. of the people. I remember the first week that you know they canceled or they urged churches to cancel service, I heard I even saw pastors kind of spreading that rhetoric. yeah. But then the second week this week, um, the uh, those same pastors have canceled their service, right. like, warning people to stay home, et cetera, et cetera. So. Right. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think there's multiple factors at play: denial, uh, the political, social climate, um, and in church, you know, as in most institutions, there is that um, there is that desire and that pull to be connected to um, the things that give you security and safety. Right. And people don't like to lose that.
1: No, absolutely not. Yeah, especially in a pandemic. You right. want to be able to go to church. <laughs> right, you know? right.
0: Like it's the place of healing and wholeness. Right. And it kind of creates almost like this conflict of values. Like, right. Um, isn't this where we go to be made whole and to be healed? Right. And yet, you know.
1: Well, you know, you, you know I'm sure it's, I think it's true. I, I didn't personally investigate it, but I know early on a lot of people were mocking Bethel. Uh, church mm. because, like, they were putting out signs saying healing service canceled. Oh, I, I heard of a church yeah. doing that, I didn't know where it was. Yeah, and okay. and I was just like, I didn't know, how, I, like, I'm not, I try not to get into the knee jerk reaction, especially when people are saying, Well, mm. Bethel, like, I'm saying, so, like, okay, it's usually, like, i do not a fan of them, but, like, you know, it's usually people with an axe to grind, and part of it's like, mm-hmm. Wow, this might actually be really happening. Like, yeah, if Bethel Church is canceling their healing services, that's right. I mean, like, yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and it, it causes a conflict. Cause it's right. like, we all know, well, maybe we all don't know. I think a lot of us, I always call myself, um, you know, I'm Pentecostal, but I'm a conflicted Pentecostal. Sure. And that is one of the conflicts I have, is right. like, you know, this idea of healing and um, what that looks like, and, and the probabilities seem right. to be low right. uh, that you're going to get miraculously healed. Right. And, uh, you know, then you have these healing services and like, than the probability, especially during a pandemic, those probabilities change a lot. You know? right. We'll just stay home because we're not sure who the, who the Lord's going to heal about. <laughs> right.
1: um, so I, don't, I don't even know I, what to do with that, but I'm right. thankful
0: they canceled their healing service. Right, yeah, me, me too.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I was sitting there thinking, like, man, back in <clears throat> Jesus' day, there's probably widespread sickness that they didn't even know about. they just mm-hmm. like, hey, this guy's sick, and nobody knew understood why. And, mm-hmm. and uh, like, you didn't see the disciples sticking a thermometer in the guy's mouth before they brought him to the Lord, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah. is your disease contagious before Jesus touches you? <laughs> like, you know, um, because, you know, sometimes you don't have faith to get healed and this may not work. So, right. you know, uh, but I, you know, I, I I have felt personally, like I'm not in a Pentecostal church now, but I still consider myself, you know, at heart Pentecostal. Um, but like, I was like, man, please guys, don't be the people that makes everybody sick because, of your theology about healing and the yeah. atonement. And, like, I understand it. I even buy some of it a smidge, you know. But, uh, like, like, please don't make everybody sick because, you right. know, like, this is it's the equivalent of snake handling at this mm-hmm. point. Yes. You know, and, like, you doing that is no different than these wackos in Appalachia who mm-hmm. pick up snakes and, you know, let them bite them in a church service to prove that they, sure you know, won't die.
0: Yeah, yeah. I agree, and
1: the only difference is a snake bite isn't contagious.
0: Right? You know, it's like you know, I admire the faith of those who want to take up snakes if they want to do it. God right. Bless them. Um,
1: but yeah, this is a little different. Right. Right. I agree. Um. Let's see. So, getting back to a little bit about, you know, uh, the government, you know, getting involved in this kind of coming out at, at a warlike scenario. Do you feel personally, and I know especially with you having a very strong social justice bent and probably a, I'm a bit more libertarian, although I'm very sympathetic to a lot of the things you would probably believe uh, government do, and I would even you know, concede maybe we need to have the government do stuff. Do you think the government, um, what role the government should play in this from a social justice aspect of things, sure. and is there any chance that the government might bite off more than it can chew, and at what point does the government just have to say, well, you know, we can't do anything about this, and you guys are on your own. Yeah. You know, because we, pro- we may make the problem worse than it actually is, because, you know, you start saying, well, they can only take these sort of patients. Well, then you have individuals like my father-in-law who has to have a steel rod put in his neck soon because he's experiencing individ- uh, problems with uh, paralysis and numbing uh, throughout his yeah. extremities, um, because of a uh, pinched disc on his uh, spinal cord, mm-hmm. it won't kill him, mm-hmm. but it might make life on him pretty rough. Mm-hmm. And if that's going to be possibly considered, you know, a a non elective or an elective procedure and not critical, like how many other people are we going to possibly hurt trying to help? Right. Um. Do you think there's a balance there, or do you think this is like we're going to throw the kitchen sink at it, this and this is priority one? This yeah. is. You know, Hitler marching on France, mm-hmm. uh, and we need to do everything we can to stop it.
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to say um, I'm no expert in these things. Right. And, and even though I'm very passionate about social justice, one thing I've learned over the years is that there's a whole lot I don't know. Right. And there's a lot I don't understand. And, um, you know, I, so what I'm, the way I'm going to answer this question is very, very opinionated. Um, <laughs> do tell. I, you know, it's just my opinion. Right. I, you know, this thing, on one hand, I'm excited to see the government return resources, which I think is the plan, uh, right now. I haven't heard the final word, uh, to the citizens. Right. Um, I think that it seems to me that that will be a good thing to do. Right. And, um you know, Disney Plus has Frozen 2 out right now, <laughs> and I don't know if you've watched it yet or not. No, you no, this no, evening. no, 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 <laughs> no. So uh, there is, um, in that movie, um, she's going out into this kind of unknown forest, mm-hmm. and it kind of opens up um, a sequence of events that are very unknown, and you don't really know what to do. And so there's this kind of revelation that comes that when you don't know what to do, or you don't know what's ahead, you just do the, do the next right thing. Right. Like, like, what is the right thing to do right now? Right. I think that's the right thing to do. Mm. I will tell you, I, I, have, I have one eyebrow raised because what's that? there is this concern that this could be a moment that is leveraged right. to give the government more power right. and more control over our lives. Right. And, um, and even as a hardcore left social, yes, d- d- yeah, because I, this isn't right. even socialism. Right. This is different. Right. Because you're not, you're not giving uh, control of the means of production to the people. Right. It, this is different. People are calling it socialism. It's not right. really socialism. No, I,
1: I would agree. It's not really socialism. Yeah,
0: and so, um, it's a little scary because when, and history, you know, bears this out and right. I have, Friends who are know much more about history than I do, right. but from my little bit of knowledge, right. I know that this is what humans do sometimes. Right. Powerful humans manipulate and leverage situations right. for their benefit. Right. And so um, in that regard, I am cautious. Yeah. And I'm looking at it like, okay, right. yeah, all right, this is going to help. I mean, I'm going to benefit from it. Sure. The student loans not having to be paid for a couple of months is going right. to be good for us. Um, if there's an extra stimulus money, that's going to be good for us. I'm not gonna lie right. But I don't know this is another podcast for another right. time, but I often wonder like this whole idea of even the government like it's us becoming a more technology based world right. Uh, at what point does the government just pay you know send out the money to the people right. or a certain amount? And computers and robots and everything right. else do the work. I mean, we're a while off from that, but right. who knows if that's not the future where right. humans have kind of created the structure that take care of all their needs? And you know, I don't know what that means for humanity though. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it it almost seems like like it kind of goes back to like when the housing crisis happened. I really felt like back then, especially since I was working at one of the. Uh, premier law firms that was like I was seeing headlines. I was I was standing there at my copy machine copying these legal documents about like Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers and stuff. And then the next day I was seeing those them talking about those documents wow. on the news. And I was like, holy cow! Wow. And and I felt like uh, and I didn't understand it because I was just a copy guy, but like I I felt like we were really standing on the edge of an abyss at that point, and like we were at a very critical tilting point in history and i feel like that's suddenly come back but even with greater strength now and greater seriousness because like i i am concerned that you know okay we make these emergency provisions well they did that with rome and then they had a guy named caesar Mm -hmm. for a long time Mm -hmm. um and they totally transformed the society in order to deal with an emergency like how do we not do that? Or like even star Wars type stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. you give some emergency powers to the chancellor, uh, and then he builds a death star. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I know all of our systems are all, all of our systems are human. And so that human element is there. Right. And, um, there, there is no perfect, you know, libertarianism, socialism. Uh, there's always going to be that, that element of human nature that wants to find ways to exploit the system.
1: Right. But I feel like that's a powerful opportunity for the church to say, hey, you know, we're not any of these systems. Mm, We may be able to work with some of these systems and we have preferences about things that are happening that are in line with what we believe as Christians, but, you know, we still offer the world in a bold alternative and that's the kingdom of God.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And that, though... Calls the question, what does our ethics around money and giving right. and all that look like? Because,
1: Absolutely.
0: you know, right now churches are pushing to keep sending your money in, keep right. sending your money in. Um, and that's great. Like, right. All right, I'm a ch- I'm paid by the church, right. so please keep <laughs> sending your money in. Right. But at the same time, there is an ethical dilemma there. Right. Because as someone who also, um, like most people, lives on a tight budget,
1: right.
0: um, has kids and you know all these kind of things... I know that sometimes that just can't be, like there's just not enough money there to give what you'd like to to the church. And Mm -hmm. in some ways, I feel like in modeling that difference, we need to be cautious about how we come at that. You know, because um, if it just becomes about, this has been one of my concerns from the beginning, if it just becomes about keep giving us the resources so we can make sure we keep doing what we did before. right exactly think, that's
1: that's a powerful yeah
0: man. I think that's a very um, you're, you're showing your cards there right and, and your cards are that there's there's not a whole lot of openness right. to what the spirit might be doing right you know Jesus when he sent them out take nothing with you don't right. take a purse don't like this idea of um, radical reliance on the Lord right opens up doors um, that this kind of clinging and holding right uh, can close right
1: yeah, I think there's very much a very real sense of that. That you know, like I think that can only go on for so long. If like we're in this two or three months from now, and we're still watching church online, you know, I love my church, and I'm still. Megan and I are still giving. We have electronic giving. So unless they yeah. somehow like block our passwords or something to yeah. <laughs> keep us locked in, uh, no, they would ever do that. I don't think. <laughs> you know, I don't think. Uh, but uh, you know, it's kind of like at two or three months down the road. I'm not going to be paying to keep watching church online. Like I can download a certain... There are websites out there with sermons for me to download. That's right. Um, And I mean, I love my pastor and I think he's a good preacher. But, you know, I could... If you're going to have a consumer mentality about it, I can go buy a better sermon somewhere else if I need to. Right. Uh, Why do I have to listen to the sermon here in Charlotte? Uh, I never see this guy. This guy never sees me. He's just broadcasting from a studio now. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't I just listen to the guy in California or Australia or, uh, you know, New York or, you know, some other church in town? At that point, mm-hmm. like, why is my loyalty to him? Why is he getting my money? Yeah. Um, especially if I'm having to make hard decisions about, like, how am I going to, you know, keep myself afloat? Mm-hmm. Um, why am I keeping him afloat? Right. You know, so snip, snip. Let him go. Yeah. I go.
0: Yeah, I agree. And, um it's, it's going to change a lot of things. Right. I, and, you know, there's going to be pendulum swings both right. ways. You know, there's going to be reactions both ways. Right. Uh, by that, I mean there's going to be some who are, you know, after all this is over, going to reevaluate their relationship with church and say, well, I can get that online. Right. And I don't need to support this local guy or, right. or, or, or lady. I can watch this podcast or right. watch this service from my home. Right. Um And then the other reaction is going to be people who are like, we can finally get together. Let's do it. (laughs) And there's definitely going to be that. Right. And um, I'm not saying either is bad or or good,
1: but those are going to be the two um, polarized reactions probably. Yeah. And I think especially like churches that are like maybe like yours that are much more community based will see the value in still being somewhat supportive somehow of whatever's happening locally Mm -hmm. because they know the person across the street from them. They're in the same fellowship. And even if they can't gather because of some pandemic and a massive assembly, well, I can walk across the street and pray or we can sing together or whatever that ends up looking like. You know, There's still that sort of community sense of identity that they have. But if it's just purely a cattle in, cattle out service every Sunday, you know, the cattle might decide that they don't want to be packed in there anymore. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, like, so it's like, if it's just been a church where we're all about the numbers, those numbers might move. Yeah. Um, because they don't see, unless they just really love the preacher. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, there's definitely some of that. There's cult of personality. Absolutely. Uh, and I, I think if there's, you know, people who gravitate towards cult of personality stuff, then they'll find that in spades. Mm -hmm. Um, Hopefully, like, they like my personality. <laughs> That's right. You know, I have a PayPal account for anybody who's listening. Uh, uh, you there know. you go. Support uh, Jimmy. I can set up a Patreon if, for those of you who do that. You should. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Revelation 18. Great. Oh, boy, we're going there? Yeah. Okay. Put your, <laughs> put your Hal Lindsay. Put your Larry B. Jenkins. Put your John Hagee hat on. Put your Jack Van Ampey. I, I would prefer Jack Van Empy. At least Jack Van Impey was a nice guy. He was. Uh, I believe he just, I believe he got a lot of theology wrong, but he really looked forward to Jesus coming back one day. Yeah, he had lots of newspaper subscriptions. <laughs> 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 uh, he, he's keeping so many die Like, that's why papers are dying. It's not because right. of, uh, you know, other alternatives of consumption these days. It's really because Jack Van Empy is no longer there to keep them. Uh, right. to- yeah. <laughs> so, like, you know, Revelation 18, very apocalyptic. Passage for those of you who aren't familiar with it offhand, talked about it in previous podcasts recently about, um, you know, kind of a mini apocalypse. And the passage talks about Babylon the Great falling uh, and the world lamenting over the fall of Babylon the Great and all of its consumer driven, uh, sensuous, uh, very worldly uh, lifestyle. Um, Do you see? Revelation 18 um, as having sort of like, if you can put a Jack Van Ampi spin on it, as having some sort of application for, I guess, maybe the, and this is a global event. Sure. Like, is, is this somehow a judgment of God, if I could even use that term? Maybe you're not comfortable with that term, but mm. how, how it would, if you were to talk about this in Revelation 18, Babylon the Great, falling in one hour, your judgment has come sort of stuff. Do you see any parallels between now and what you see re- in Revelation 18? Is there any takeaway we can have from that? Oh, boy. I think in general,
0: Revelation, there's always parallels, right. even when it doesn't feel like an apocalypse, right. because it's a critique of uh, human systems, human governments, right. um, and everyone has their own reading of Revelation. I tend to read Revelation as almost like um, this tragic comedy, if you will, mm. of... Human systems and how they fail, right. and God's faithfulness, um, and this invitation for uh, the the followers of Jesus to be faithful as well. Hmm. Faithfulness is a big component, right. you know, in there. I heard someone say the other day uh, about the uh, uh, COVID is it COVID nineteen the yeah. actual what they're wanting it to be called now. Right. Um, who said, you know, this isn't the apocalypse, but it's a dress rehearsal. Hmm. And uh, that, of course, is someone who's equating apocalypse with the eschaton, like, right. meaning this final climactic right. end of the world event. So I tend to read, you know, apocalypses as anything that is the end of the world as we know it. Right. So, yeah, and, and you know, when your podcast uh, that you, you talked about, um, I think I would, I, would, I would mostly agree with everything you said there yeah. Um, because, yeah, there is this lamenting. And, and we may not have even seen um, the worst of the economic impact, right. the production impact. Right. I mean, I went to five stores to find hot dog buns right. you know, this week.
1: Might have to learn to make my
0: own. (laughs) I know, right? Yes. Yes. That's my next level on my uh, YouTube channel. I have a nephew who's trapping now. He's trapping animals. Oh, man. Oh, wow. He's preparing. Wow. Um, Something
1: tells me he was already ahead of the curve there. (laughs) He already was in some ways. He's always been the
0: type of person. I wish I was as wise as he was at his age. He's always been someone who's prepared for the future, and and that's what he's doing. But, you know, we we laugh about that, and rightly so, but at the same time... It, it this may not be an event that leads us there, right. but I hope it shows us that um, these systems are unreliable. Right? You know they they're just unreliable, and it doesn't matter even how long they last. Um, they con- they take constant work. They need constant transformation. Right. And then there are these things that happen. And in terms of judgment, I don't know. Um, I tend to think these days. Uh, of God's, and ju- we may differ on this. Uh, of God's judgment as being something that is um, uh, always life-giving and redemptive, mm-hmm. but we forget sometimes that death gives way to resurrection, right. and so life-giving uh, may actually require some dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is true about nature. You look outside; you have this beautiful backyard. Right. Um, you know the grass that is growing there has been fertilized. from right centuries and centuries and centuries of other things dying right. you know so um in our in our human consciousness we sometimes have a hard time seeing outside of our own reality uh, and that's just it's a very human thing in some ways we need that to survive it right. would be overwhelming if we were always thinking about you know outside of that um so I not don't, I don't know that it's a judgment I, I will say I feel like, I feel like those who've had an ear to hear mm-hmm. and an eye to see have seen and heard um, that the church needs to change right. long before the church was handed this and realized, oh yeah, we need to change. Right? You know, uh, Leonard Sweet, like I quoted earlier, you know, he said, you know, there's coming a time um, where you won't go to church or Avatar will go to church. Right. This was in like two thousand and one. Wow. You know, and everybody looked at him at this conference. He was, you know, the, the question was, what does the future of the church look like? And he comes on stage, and this is what he says. There's coming a day when you won't go to church, your avatar will go for uh-huh. you. And we're doing that. I mean, virtual church, like it or not, right. you're putting your virtual self out there. Sure. You know, you're at home in your pajamas or whatever, right. but the person on the screen, you know, is this beautiful profile picture you've taken from just the right angle. All or right. There's, it's a, it's a, a virtual projection of self. Um so you know in some ways um judgment or not, this cert or apocalypse or not right. this certainly is a dress rehearsal for those things yeah and uh, I like that yeah and I think time will tell grief especially anytime grief is involved and I've, I've learned this on a very personal level I lost right. my father actually coming up on a year and a few weeks um for me at least it, it really takes a while to process the impact hmm. and I think we'll be processing this for a while right we'll be talking about this for many years in the church and our families in right. America uh, the lessons we brought out of
1: this and the impact that it had right a friend of mine uh he he kind of stunned me recently and i, and I I've been kind of fishing on it I'm like I, I feel it's interesting because, you know, big bad banker and stuff, you know, I, I live a comfortable life. I've had a good job. Um, but I've always had this kind of personal sense of when I read the Gospels, I see sort of a almost a hostile attitude at times towards the idea of wealth that Jesus and the apostles had. Um, they were very skeptical of it. They were very cautious about it, like... Wealth wasn't just this neutral thing that take it or leave it. You could use it for good things or bad things. They were like, no, wealth could send you to hell. Yeah. uh, And it may keep you from going to heaven. And um, and they were very like, you know, very contrary to, I would even say, the attitude at the time. Like I would say the Jews' attitude at the time was very in line with our prosperity gospel sort of stuff that we have today. That, you know, if you have wealth, that's a sign... Of God's blessing on you, and I can definitely see where they would have thought that from the Old uh, Testament. You know, there are some the blessings that Moses pronounced uh, at the end of Deuteronomy. You know, talked about a materialistic Israel mm-hmm. um, and exalted Israel, and which all and the prophet spoke of the wealth of the nations are going to come to you one day. Yeah, you know, and so they looked at their financial success whenever they would have it, um, and as kind of maybe an indicator that God likes you. Um, mm-hmm. And Jesus came and turned that upside down, and said, "Blessed are the poor." Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, your the apostle like your money will perish with you. Yeah. Um, and just very kind of. Do you feel like perhaps, especially in Revelation eighteen, it's interesting they don't like Revelation eighteen mentions some gross icky sins, mm-hmm. but it primarily hits at a materialistic, you know, market driven yeah. world. Yeah. Uh, it, Like, it sits there and knocks cinnamon. Like, yeah. Lord, what is wrong with ground cinnamon? Like, right, right. Uh, you know, like, yeah. why are you hating on cinnamon, Jesus? Yeah, like, yeah. And, and, and it's like, you know, stuff you don't learn in Sunday school about, yeah. you know, the book of Revelation. You know, I didn't see Hal Lindsey knocking ground cinnamon. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> John Wesley would have. That's um, right, yeah. John, John Wesley ate unsalted meat. Yeah, there um, you go. You know, so... Um, if
0: YouTube was around, would John Wesley have done the cinnamon challenge? That's the question <laughs> that needs to be answered. To right.
1: That. But do you think this, especially, uh, you know, I'd say we're a largely capitalistic uh, society, even in, in even in socialist-leaning uh, countries, they're still kind of capitalistic in mindset. Um, and I don't necessarily have a beef with capitalism per se. I know you have a little different take on mm-hmm. it. But I do have a beef with materialism, the mm-hmm. crass materialism, um, the... The, the the idea that your material success is somehow connected to your spiritual spirituality and God's mm-hmm. thoughts about you, yeah. um, do you see this event maybe sending a shockwave to the church that hey, you know just because you built a big church and had an affluent lifestyle, um, and all these things will that change? Do you think this event has the potentiality for us to maybe see that Revelation eighteen? Mm-hmm sort of filter uh, applied to our eyes, maybe, if we can get a hold of it? Um, Or will we still be clamoring for that? Mm. Um, Will we still be trying to say, hey, we liked all that money stuff. It was good. Uh, How how do you feel like that? Well, they'll definitely be clamoring for it. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's not going away.
0: Um, Money uh, and wealth is a strong temptation. Right. Uh, I think more so for me than the Revelation passage, I think the Revelation passage definitely provides us some good imagery and narrative. Right. Um, but for me, I think a lot about, um, you know, Deuteronomy. If you do good, the Lord will bless you. If you do bad, um, then the Lord will curse you. Right. You know, this Deuteronomistic covenant. Right. And, you know, you have this in the Old Testament up until uh, Jerusalem falls to right. Babylon. And then the question becomes, because, you know, also within the Deuteronomistic theology was this idea that Zion was inviolable; that it right. could not be violated, right. and so then everything that you think theologically cannot happen happens. Right. And people who were doing good, bad things happen to them as a result. Right. You know, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo, these are faithful individuals right. in the story of the exile who suffered right along with everyone else. Right. And so, we humans we we are meaning making machines. Right. We like to make meaning of everything. It's like this 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 internal drive with whatever happening is our on narrative around it, right. and that's not necessarily bad it's just a right. human condition sure right um and that's why we have uh the images of the book of job you know which probably emerged after the exile you know some people originally used to date job as one of the earliest books i'd put it back now, in genesis yeah, but... yeah. <laughs> but now uh the thought process is among many scholars and, and i would agree that Job actually emerged as a story to answer the theological question of, mm. uh, "What do you do when the thing you thought could never happen happens, mm. and uh, how do you respond?" And in that story, you have a man who had everything and loses everything, right. you know. But God does restore it to him. Right. So it's. <laughs> a, a, but the interesting thing in Job is, or one of the more interesting things to me, is that in Job you have humans wrestling with this same question, right. and we always give him a bad rap, but we all have done it. They're just, you know, Job's friends are just um, character projections of all of our meaning making that we do when things happen that we don't expect to happen. Mm. Um, but when God answers Job, right. God never answers Job's situation. He right. takes him on a tour of creation, you know, and it's like, look, the the trees, the animals, you don't, they've been here long before you were. All of this stuff right. um, precedes you and will will be there after you're gone. Right. And so I think that maybe one of the things we take away from this is when we think about materialism uh, and currency and capitalism and economies and all those kind of things, um, those are ways in which we do transactions as humans and those change all the time across societies, across times and all that. Uh, and maybe the the, the the lesson is is for us not to be so caught off guard mm when things don't go the way we think they're going to go with those things. Right. Because um, creation itself is not dependent right. on the economic system. Right. Per se, there's effects, there's consequences, because we all live in the same environment. Right. But, you know, the dollar bill reaches zero uh, tomorrow, and there's going to be fallout. Right. Um, but, you know, barring some type of cosmic event, a hundred years from now, there'll still be trees, there'll still be grass. All right. So, <laughs> there'll still be animals. Well,
1: the, the irony of it, like today, I was like, I went to the grocery store and I walked outside, I was looking around and I did it the other day too. I was like, looking up at the sky, it's so blue. Mm-hmm. And tree, I mean, it's like a really rich Carolina blue today. Yeah. And and I would almost say it looks like Duke level blue. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> it's gorgeous today. <laughs> yeah, it's gorgeous. And like, birds are singing, they're carrying out. They don't know anything about a coronavirus hat now. And if you weren't tuned in to all the news and talking to your neighbors and if you were just living out as a hermit, like you would be oblivious. I know uh, people keep joking. Well, has anybody told the Amish what's happening yet? You know, yeah. uh, do the Amish realize there's a pandemic going Right. Out? Like how do they even respond? Are they even aware that there's such yeah. a thing? Like, and it's, it's like, so it's like how the, the contrast in my mind is, is just like almost euphoric. Like I can't process All this bad stuff Mm. as a human that's happening that I know that's happening. It's like my eyes deceive me. How can such beauty be existing right now in the midst Mm. of such chaos? Like you would think with the way we're hearing about it in the news and the way things may even likely play out. Like you would think it should look like uh, the British just got bombed by the Germans in World War Two, and like there should be rubble everywhere, mm. and everything should be bleak and dark and gray, and you should smell the stench of death everywhere. Mm-hmm. But it's not that. Mm-mm. Like, yet our systems are, you know, being pushed to the point of collapse. Yeah. And, you know, we may have political revolutions and turmoil, um, and God only knows what the body count's going to be. Yeah. Um, but in the midst of that The sun is shining That's right uh, And tonight we're going to eat Chicken wings and pizza And That's you right. would never know We're getting ready to go Into the dark abyss That's right uh, Like li- life li- Life is carrying on That's <laughs> right <laughs> That's right You know And uh, Well I mean It, it kind of reminds me of um, uh, Noah There, There's going to still be Seed time and harvest You know mm-hmm. Until the day of the Lord That's um, right And it's like You know He just went through His own apocalypse Yeah And uh, And still he emerges To you know, a world that has green. That's right. And it's like, it, it's hard to fathom that though right now. It is.
0: It's hard to see resurrection on the other side. You know, it's a, uh, we all have our Garden of Gethsemane moment, right. you know, where it's like, okay, this is, uh, this is going to look different and be different. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're prepared for or excited about it. Right, right. Know?
1: Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. Not like, yay, we get to be crucified and die to self. Hooray. Right. Um. So... If there is anything that from this conversation that you would like to tell the folks, if something that you've processed, personally wrestled with, that you would just like, in this moment in the now, like, what would you tell people mm. um, as they are, you know, all we're all in the same boat at this moment. You know, a lot of our uncertainty, a lot of fear, mm. um, maybe a little tinge of skepticism or even optimistic hope that maybe this isn't going to be as bad as it is, mm. but. Things are looking like I know when I did my podcast a couple of weeks ago, I was just like I'd give this a four, like on it, like you know I might have to revise my number. Yeah. Uh, on a scale of one to ten, like yeah. what would be your message for somebody today? Um, I would. This is my message, and I'll, I'll give this disclaimer: I
0: don't know that I'm the best at it, hmm. but I think that one of the um, wisest things we might can do in these times is to just be still. Hmm and to know. And know does not mean necessarily figuring it all out, mm. but just to know and be known. Be known by your creator. You know, Jesus, we use the analogy of, uh, or use the example of the birds, and we hear them chirping right. while we're doing this podcast. Right. Um, and Jesus said, consider the birds of the air. They toil not. Right. and um, That doesn't mean that they're not working for their food and out there right. doing what they do, um, but that that there is this there is this um, element of trusting, trusting and surrendering uh, to our Creator and to the universe, if, if people prefer that term. Um, that, you know, there are things that are just out of our control.
1: Right.
0: And we can revert into monkey brain and, like, you know, try to figure it all out and clamor and all those kind of things. But um, this is a time for us to, to maybe just catch our breath. And mm-hmm. to be still, and to know, and to practice mindfulness, and uh, to really ground ourselves in our relationships with one another, and um, in our relationships with uh, with those things that are outside of our eye control, and, and and with the Lord. Mm-hmm. That's about the best I can give. Okay. And that's what's getting me through. Okay. And uh, so just be still. Um, a lot of this we can't do anything about, right? And we don't know what it's going to look like yet,
1: right? So very good. Well, thank you, Daniel, for thank coming you. on. I uh, really appreciate it and glad to reconnect and I yeah. uh, look forward to the dinner we're having. If there's, if you want anybody to be able to contact you, uh, how would you recommend they do that? At yeah, the, uh,
0: the best way probably to find me is on social media. Um, I'm mainly I'm on Facebook. I do Twitter some and Instagram. Um, and you can check out uh, Renovatu's Church online, social media uh, as well.
1: Well, Daniel gave us a lot to think about, folks, and I hope you've enjoyed this interview uh, that we've had regarding the coronavirus and its impact on our life and our culture, and specifically in the context of the church. If you've enjoyed this podcast from Jimmy'sTable.com, be sure to share it with somebody. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. It's available on Apple, iTunes, uh, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and all the usual places that you get your um, podcast. Or if you want, you can subscribe the old-fashioned way by email us at jimmystable.com. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, if you want to reach out to me, jimmy at table.com I'm also on Facebook. I'm on Twitter um, and all the usual places that you find people who do podcast sort of things. <laughs> anyway, everybody, take care. God bless. And uh, be sure to share this again with somebody that you think will benefit from it, especially those who are involved and the life and ministry of the church. Do you see the
0: light? What light? Have you seen the light? Yes! Yes! I have seen the light!
1: There's much. You know, it's ultimately what you make of it, that God can be with you even in the midst of poor decisions, either poor decisions you've made or poor decisions other people have made. Um, And so, yeah, there might be a suffering in it and it may be related to, uh, you know, I've been hit with the stupid stick a couple of times in my (laughs) day. uh, And but I still found that, you know, God was with me in the midst of being hit with the stupid stick. Find ADD Masterminds on Twitter, Facebook, and Anchor
0: FM.